This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by This Is Not Church podcast and the letter F. And you. (laughs) (laughs) If you've made it this far, my name is Nat Turney, my brother John Turney, and I co-host This Is Not Church, the podcast. And this is sadly the level of discourse that you can expect to find if you tune in every Monday when we drop new episodes. But all joking aside, John and I see this as as an opportunity for us to address issues that we don't think are addressed nearly enough inside of evangelicalism. So LGBTQIA plus issues, BIPOC issues, social justice issues. We like to talk to a broad variety and range of people and really try to find places of commonality for everybody. So check out the podcast. Every Monday, our episodes drop. Wherever you stream podcasts, you can find us. Remember, this is not church. And to that, John says, Peace. You can't always see bad weather coming, so it's essential that you're able to see through it when you drive. Michelin wiper blades with advanced technology hug your windshield like a Michelin tire hugs the road, channeling away water, snow, and ice so you can see clearly, drive confidently, and breathe easy. Michelin wiper performance, clearer than ever. Upgrade to Michelin premium wipers today at Walmart, Amazon, and other fine retailers. Hi friends, I'm Tim Whitaker and welcome to the New Evangelicals podcast. The New Evangelicals is an inclusive, Jesus-centered community that holds space for people marginalized by the evangelical church, advocates for accountability in the church, and helps you explore the Christian tradition beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. This podcast is part of that work, so join us as we talk to people from all walks of life, lending their expertise and wisdom to us as we renegotiate our faith and find better paths forward. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the New Evangelicals Podcast. So good to be with you. Can we just say, can I just say that the previous episode that we posted with Tripp and Diana um, was so good. If you have not listened to it yet, it's titled, Why You Should Give a Bleep About Lent. You need to listen to it. It is such a good episode. And today, I'm bringing you another great episode. I had on the podcast Jessica Herberger. She's an author and a writer and a Bible teacher. She studies the intersection of faith, history, and liturgy. That's right, liturgy. So we have Lent from last episode, and now we have liturgy on this episode. She's the author of Break Bread Together and Life Surrendered and host of The Table, an online community gathered around the word. Now, I know that phrasing, the word, can you know, let's face it, make us a little uneasy. I'm trying to get away from saying the word triggered. I I think it's overused, frankly. So it can make us uneasy or or a little skeptical, but I really enjoyed this conversation with Jessica. She's wonderful. We kind of dig into community and what do we do if we lost our community and does online community fill that gap or not? So I had a lot of questions and we had a really great conversation. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. And of course, as always, I cannot thank you all enough for still listening to the show. You know, I think we've been going for is it one or two years? It has to be two years. It has to be. We've been going for almost two years now. Um, it, it's just wow, really. 
amazing to have people message us and say, hey, I love the podcast or I listen to it. Hey, if you have any guest recommendations, I can't guarantee we will get them on. But if you have any, send them our way. We're at the point now where we're getting a lot of people who are soliciting themselves to come on the show, which is fine. And sometimes we get some really great guests that are worth coming on, including a few um, coming out in a few episodes from now. So hang tight for that. But I also like knowing from the community, what do you want to hear more of? Do you enjoy the theology conversations, the nationalism stuff, the, the 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 psychology stuff. You know, one thing one thing about this podcast that I think is kind of unique is that we really talk about a very full perspective and and all the layers that go into this idea of trying to renegotiate the Christian tradition for ourselves and finding better paths forward as Jesus people. You know, there is a psychological effect to that. There's a church level, there's a theological level and a, a philosophical level, et cetera. So we really try and be wide to cover all different topics to kind of keep things just different. I mean, there are even times where Noah and I, our podcast producer, will come on and we'll just talk, um, which we're actually working on scheduling. By the way, it's been a it's, it's been a it's been a minute, um, and uh, we're we're, tra- we're trying to make, trying to make that happen. But my point is, is that we really do our best to to give the audience hopefully conversations and guests who I hope will help them as they renegotiate their faith. So if you have a guest who you're like, oh my God, this person is a shoo-in, send me a message, podcast at thenewevangelicals.com. That's the email address, podcast at thenewevangelicals.com, and we will get to it. And as always, friends, if you want to support the show, if you like the work that we do, you can share this episode. You can subscribe to our our YouTube or our podcasting channel, wherever you're listening to this on. You can give us a rating and a review. And if you want to help us hold space for thousands of people, which we do every day, donating is a great way to help. We are a nonprofit organization, so all donations are tax deductible. You can go to the link in our show notes. Click on that link, make a donation. It helps people know that there are better paths forward beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. All right, friends. <coughs> wow. I'm keeping that. Sometimes you make mistakes. Sometimes you cough. But without further ado, here's my episode with Jessica Herberger. I hope you enjoy it. Well, Jessica Herberger, it is great having you on the podcast. As I tell all of my guests, thank you for making time on a Monday afternoon. It means a lot. I'm thrilled to be here and have been looking forward to having the time to talk. Right. Well, buckle up. Here we go. So you <laughs> you are a writer. You're a speaker. Uh, mm-hmm. Your website has a lot of different things about you, which is amazing. You wrote a book called uh, Life Surrendered, uh, which looks like it's about kind of how do we talk about Easter and think about that, uh, which is amazing. Before we get into some of the details, we're going to talk about, I think, some pretty interesting things. I want to know, as I ask all of my guests, who is Jessica Herberger? I mean, how did you grow up? Did you grow up in evangelical spaces like me, or did you grow up kind of outside of that tradition? What's your backstory? I did not grow up in evangelical spaces. Um, My parents have a funny story. They certainly had a lot of faith growing up, my mother and my father. My father was raised Catholic. Um, He converted to Christianity by way of a Jewish rabbi that he met on the street. Uh, My mom more traditionally grew up in the Methodist church, but didn't really hold on to our faith super tight, more concerned about her love of Jesus. Um, She walked through in just a really hard life and sorting that out her faith was always in question. Um, and then my stepdad who raised me was agnostic 
um, up until about the last two days of his life. So we grew up in a sort of interesting world full of a lot of love, a lot of openness, um, and a lot of questions. My husband has a very different story. And so our arrival at what our faith is as adults is different. He came from more of the background that you have very conservative, fundamental, evangelical, and walked away completely and then found his way back. We found our way to Jesus together, really made our our faith our own. Okay. So how did, because your website says that you're a Bible teacher, you study yeah. the intersection of faith, history, and liturgy, yeah. uh, you you wrote a couple books, Breaking Bread Together and Life Surrendered, and you're the host of The Table, an online community gathered around the word, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how did you kind of grow up in that environment and end up devoting your life to <laughs> something that would now intersect the new evangelicals with right. you on a podcast? <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, I think... I just, we found our way there. My story also is one of a lot of hardship and trials. Uh, All my parents are deceased and we raised my brother since he was 15. So we've raised children from our own kids age all the way up to, we we jokingly say we have a 32 year old as well, which is my brother. Um, And so we've had a lot of hard times and that drew us actually closer into our faith rather than further apart, which I think tragedy can do one of the two things. And so what I found is that over the last five to 10 years, I have been a voice in the church that questions a lot, that um, brings a sense of education and awareness to the church in a way that is luckily welcome within our own local church, but I think within the evangelical movement can be frowned upon. Um, And so because of that, I found myself a reluctant writer. The Christian book market is one that I would never choose to be a member of (laughs) uh, because it's so convoluted. Yet these messages I've had of looking at the Bible and saying, I think we're missing something here. that the message just wouldn't leave me alone. And so I had to start putting that out into the world. Uh, So Break Bread Together, we look at the the Last Supper and really say, yes, this thing that we know that happened, happened there, but there's so much more that we're missing. And I think the evangelical church likes to make things far more simpler than they are. And um, my ability to look at scripture with new eyes and with historical eyes the eyes of a teacher professor has been really helpful. I think to a lot of people to be able to say there's something else going on here. So what, what is your interaction with the evangelical culture then? I mean, you didn't grow up in yeah. those spaces. It sounds like you grew up in the opposite space that many of us grew up in, you know, like you said, open, a lot of love, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, how, I mean, the, the church you currently attend, is it more in evangelical spaces? How did you kind of get over yeah. to what so many of us are like, I'm not sure if I want to be a part of this anymore. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, the way I would categorize our church is evangelical adjacent. Uh, we are, it was far more fundamental 15 years ago. And we were still sorting out our faith. So we were coming to terms, my husband and I, with what does this look like as adults and sorting out, do we believe what this is? This church is putting before us or do we not at the same time that our church changed leadership has changed direction. And so we've had the, the gift of walking this church through a pivot, which has been just the best thing. I am a 
female leader within the church. Um, I'm doing things that a female has literally never done in that church's history. And it's been really cool to be able to, to be a bridge between what it was and what it wants to become. And so we're surrounded by evangelicals who are far more fundamentalist than us. Um, our friends who are more ingrained in that evangelical culture don't know what to make of us because we go to things and we, I mean, we were the ones who were not losing our minds when Biden won, you know, we were like, everything's fine guys. Everyone needs to relax. And we were surrounded suddenly by all of these very fundamentalist thinkers. And it's been really cool for us over the last few years to be a different voice within this culture. Um, I don't know about you. I'm in upstate New York, so I'm a bit further north than you, but we're, we are the most unchurched place in the country, like right where we are in Albany. Eight of the top 10 unchurched places are within a couple hours of us, ourselves included as one of them. And I find that the, it's actually harder to be a sound, to hold sound faith here because in this extreme environment, people are holding to their extremes so hard. So we've found there's a lot of opportunity for us to speak to that fundamentalist, evangelical-based thinking because it's actually not expected. People expect us to sort of go along with what everyone else is preaching, and we don't. And so it's been cool. Yeah, I I know Albany. I have friends in Troy, and I have <laughs> oh, friends yeah. in uh, Saratoga Springs. I've yeah. been up there many times. We passed yeah. Albany on the way. That's uh, right. So and that's I'm, what I'm most people do with, with Albany. <laughs> yeah, we just high and by, right? And I've actually, there, there's a pretty large church up there. I'm not going to say the name because I have friends there, but I've played at, at his church uh, many times. They have many campuses, yeah. and I, I've helped lead worship uh, as a drummer there. So it's interesting. Okay, so I, I think what I'm, I'm, what what is kind of interesting so far about, about about what you said is that you have friends who are more fundamentalist, but they're your friends. Uh, we, I think, many people have found in in our spaces that, at least in my experience, mm-hmm. that my people who I thought were my community couldn't make room for me to really explore beyond their own theological boundaries at yeah. at their church. They kind of gave me an ultimatum, you know, either stop serving with us or stop doing the work you're doing with yeah. the new evangelicals. But you seem to sound like you have friends who can at least make room for you and allow you to be you without breaking like fellowship, to use a church word. Is that sure. the case or have you experienced, you know, loss of community based on where your faith journey has taken you? It's both for sure. Um, Yes, there are people that have completely cut us off because of the degrees I'm pursuing, because of the fact, you know, anything that could be potentially labeled as progressive or liberal within our thinking. Um, there's, there is a sense of an unwillingness to have a conversation even about it. However, there's a few, there are a few that still are hanging in with us and we feel determined to maintain that relationship as long as possible. And there's, um, there's an exhaustion that comes with it from our side. Sometimes like, I cannot believe I'm having this conversation again, but we do feel like there's gotta be some place for those people to go. That's what I love about what you do in your work. There's a place for people to go when they start to question. And within that evangelical fundamentalist mindset 
the hardest thing I have found watching so many people come out of it is they don't even know where to go. So they just walk away from Jesus altogether. And ideally that's not what's happening because I think there's a way through while still holding on to him. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very interesting. Whenever we have a guest on the podcast who has a story s- similar to your background, you know, you didn't yeah. like grow up in these spaces. It does seem like the posture is different than with folks who have grown up in these spaces. Yeah, I mean, right. um, and I'm one of them because it is, it's hard to describe when you're five years old and uh, a, a parental figure or a pastor sits you down and says, Hey, if you don't accept Jesus, you're going to burn in hell right. forever. I mean, that's, that's a very difficult yeah. thing to explain to someone who didn't grow up in that environment. Right. Um, and then you, you kind of believe that because it forms you so early on. And then you, you go all in on this belief system mm-hmm. of you think you're a Christian, which you are, but you're really more of a fundamentalist than a Christian. But you think that the only, only way to be a Christian is the way that. That, that you're experiencing it, right? right? And then suddenly as you get older and you 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 take your pastor seriously, you you do study the word, you you start exploring, you start, you know, asking the hard questions, and you found that maybe your tradition had really shitty answers. Yeah. Then they yeah. say, Well, you never believed in the first place. And you're like, yeah. oh my God, yeah. I don't know how else to prove to you that I'm sincere in what I believe. That's and right. so that's why I had to ask your question because I think a lot of people listening to this, including myself, it was a real uh shock to the system when I thought that we were in relationship no matter what, but it turned out the second I asked, even we're not talking about did Jesus actually resurrect physically, okay? We're talking yeah. about like things that are way more secondary that Christians had debated forever. But once you found those boundaries, you were pushed out of that circle. So yeah. it just, it, it's a hard thing to describe, but it's incredibly painful when that happens to you. It's it's horrible just having watched the people that I love go through it on a really intimate level. Um, it's awful. And it's such an interesting thing because I think that, that digging their heels in and unwillingness to even have a conversation, it's, it's actually so unbiblical and there's nowhere to go a lot of times with that. My pastor asked me at one point, how did women in the church get to this point where they believe they are this subsect and not equal. Like, how did this even happen that women accept this other doctrine? And my answer ultimately was, it's actually biblical literacy. They don't even know what the Bible says about it, because if they read the Bible for themselves through their own lens, it's really quite clear, but there's a fear of biblical knowledge because... yeah. There's liberation there, you know, which is what's so beautiful about it. Okay. You mentioned something that I think is interesting. You mentioned how, you know, people maybe in your spaces, and this is common with us too, they just kind of put you in this box of progressive and liberal for really holding pretty moderate views. I mean, I don't think advocating for affordable healthcare in America (laughs) is super far left thinking, but for some reason it is, or I don't yeah. think, um, you know, being compassionate to migrants at the border right. is really crazy Marxist propaganda. Exactly. But for some reason, people in those spaces think that it is. Yeah. How do you navigate, you know, when you get that label, how do you navigate mm-hmm. it? What do you do? How do you, do you discuss it with those people? Do you just let it go? I mean, what do you do there? I found for me personally, the labels matter. Um, what matters is, who is giving me the label. Um, I've said 
depending on who calls you a heretic, it's quite actually a compliment, you know? So I have tried (laughs) to bear that in mind because I would hope some people would consider me a heretic if what they think is right, you know, like based on that, because the way that they're acting it out is so contrary to what I believe. And so that's helped a lot. That's helped a lot. Um, And I think my life speaks for it more than anything else. And so having a somewhat public facing persona and um, I intentionally have a really, I have a small platform, which is an intentional choice. I just place my emphasis on more teaching than the public side of things. But there's still a public, you're, you're a public facing person once you open up social media in some regard, right? Totally. And so I have found that I've just decided not to care too much about it because my actual life has to mirror what I actually believe first so that anyone in my real life would know the truth about the love of Christ that I have that I really think you can see in the way we live our life. The, the, the sacrifices we make, we don't just talk it, we walk it out truly. And um, there's just a peace that comes with that for me that it makes the rest of it not matter so much. Okay, let's talk about this this online community that you said mm-hmm. it's called the the table. It's an yeah. online community gathered around the word. Now I'm going to be transparent with you. Okay, yeah. growing up in in these spaces, I hear that phrase the word, and oh. I'm like, oh my god, I yep. am a little triggered. I'm just being transparent yeah, with you. I like it. I'm a little it's triggered good. by it. That being said, it's you know it's not that I don't love the Bible or or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's just that that phrase unfortunately mm-hmm. has a ton of baggage attached to it. So yeah. I have two questions about this. Number one. When you say online community, what does that mean for you? Because we struggle, I struggle with this personally all yeah. the time because most of our work is also online, but I'm also very passionate about people having real friends that they are really connected to, even the messy parts, right? Where like right. people get on each other's nerves a little bit. And with yeah. online spaces, you can kind of curate which part of yourself you want the world to see and which part you don't want to yeah. or, or that you don't want them to see. And then also why use that phrase, the word for you? So those are my two That's questions good. I would love for you to kind of unpack. Sure. So the online community piece is fluid and ever changing for me as new platforms arrive and evolve. So it was a mighty network, which I tried because I, I am an Enneagram eight and I don't like to do what everyone else does. (laughs) Yes. I just saw your face like, Oh, (laughs) um, and so the challenger. Yes, very much. So, um, So I will go where I'm not supposed to go every time. And there was some alternate social media platform and I just decided to go for it. And at one point recently, maybe within the last couple months, like this is just making my life a lot harder as a writer. I should just be where the writers are. And so I've transferred the table to Substack. We're trying that one on for size. Um, It's been good. And so we'll see what comes of the new community. It's essentially a place where we can learn, teach, and be challenged. If you don't want to be challenged, it's a really hard place for you to go. Um, Because of the way I do teach the Bible and ask others to read the Bible. And so it's it's really helpful that we started our conversation going over my background because 
I start a lot of conversations with, I didn't grow up in purity culture. So bear in mind what I'm saying is not coming from that place. Or I didn't grow up in a conservative fundamentalist environment. So bear that in mind. And I think that's probably where that comes from, using the word as part of what we're doing. Um, I've seen several online communities that have started and they sort of do the bait and switch about like, oh, gotcha, this is actually about the Bible. And we're going to like sneak that in. And I just think that that's so just, it's so wrong. So I want to lead with what we're doing. Um, And it is, it's about learning how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible, how to ask questions about the Bible and how to know that you're not going to have all the answers. And you're all going to come to different conclusions about way more than you're told you're going to. And so I do want to lead with that because I don't want people to, I want people to show up curious. You do not need to believe the Bible to be there, but that is what we talk about a lot. And so that's part of it too, just being really upfront about it. Spring is basically a second holiday season. Mother's Day, Father's Day, weddings, the list goes on. And what better way to celebrate them than with Drizzly, the go-to app for alcohol delivery. Drizzly is the easiest way to shop local stores and compare prices on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered to your door. Download the app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that. Yeah, I mean, that's really helpful. I think a lot of people, I'm one of them, I, I'm I'm probably more fascinated about the Bible more than ever. I'm a big fan of the Bible Project. Yeah. I love that kind of content. And, you know, I have found that once you even have like um, a freshman college level perspective of the Bible, it's very clear that, that it's not clear uh, often. Yes. Uh, it's very clear that that it's really murky how how we got our modern translations. It's very clear yes. that there were a lot of a lot of hands in the pot that I would say had good intentions, but you know, we're not infallible people. And and all of a sudden this foundation of fundamentalism, meaning you know, solo scriptura, you know, just the scriptures alone, the Bible's yep. clear, God said it, that settles it. Um, you know, it falls apart very quickly yeah, um, for sure me. Does. But yet I, I still find that many people in those spaces use that language over and over again. And I can't help but think, and maybe in the most respectful way I can think about it, if they're almost gaslighting themselves. I mean, one example that I think about often, mainly because this is such a, a major discussion point in those spaces, is the topic of sexuality. And, you know, I hear often, so often from people in these more fundamentalist reform type spaces, probably politically conservative too. Uh, the, the Bible's clear on sexual ethics. You know, the Bible's sexual ethic is so clear. And if you don't see it as clear, you're just a progressive trying to rewrite God's clear word. But then if, if you read it, yeah. like at, on a surface level, you would see in the first like four chapters that the Bible's sexual ethic is not very clear. Uh, you know, Lamech in Genesis 4 takes a second wife. You have to wonder if Adam and Eve are the first literal historical people on the face of the earth their sexual ethic gets real disturbing real quick. I mean, right, but but you bring this yeah. stuff up and they're just like, well, you're not interpreting it right. And that's that's when you get down to, to I think, the crux of it, right? Which is, oh, right, right, right. Your hermeneutic, your framework, 
your structure, your systematic theology, that's yeah. the right way of interpreting the Bible, yeah, while it. everyone else's is just nonsense. Yeah. I, it drives me up a wall. I would love, you know, you're more of a scholar, scholarly figure <laughs> than I am. I would love your thoughts on that. Like, like, how do you navigate that with people who are like, Jessica, the Bible's clear. You know, they just wag <laughs> their finger at you. I've literally had that happen to me recently. I said a, a woman came marching back down the center aisle, and if she had guns in her pocket, she would have started slinging them. It's what it looked like. You know, it's like, here we go. And it was exactly that. You know, I just sort of politely encouraged her to consider there's alternate viewpoints, and it was exactly that language of it's clear, it's clear, it's clear. And in that, you know, in that kind of one-off conversation, I said, well, you know, I've come to a different conclusion and I've studied it a lot and I would encourage you to look at it with some fresh eyes and I sort of move on because that's not a conversation that's going to be fruitful at all. Right. What I think is really hard for people of that mindset to answer is, why do you suppose you're the only ones to have gotten this right after so many years, so many denominations, so many ways of interpreting the Christian faith? Why do you have such arrogance that you think you've gotten all of it right? Or why do you right. think there's no possibility that in any other denomination or interpretation that there couldn't be truth in there, even if you don't agree with some of it? And right. there's really no answer that, yes. for that. It's just an arrogance that is, it's not really worth time sorting out after that. It's really I hard. I agree. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I I, I just don't know like how to have those Move conversations. You know, yeah. I mean, well, like one, ex another example is I was on Facebook the other day and someone posted, um, pretty much like just like some right-wing talking points about the recent Britney Griner release. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just said, Hey, listen, like here's some, here's some actual data points. And like, they just, you know, well, that's fake news. And then, then I sent them an NBC article. Oh, they're far left. Then I sent them <laughs> the picture of the meat uh, of, of, of where all the news organizations land on the spectrum. And, yeah. I, and then, and then they go, ha, I see where CNN is. You want me to really believe that? And so, okay, I can't use that to appeal to like any logic. <laughs> then I sent them an ABC article, which would be moderate. And they, they still wrote it off as liberal. I'm yeah. just like, there, there's no, a, um, a, it seems like there's just two different frameworks for operating it. One <laughs> is that I'm always right. And I have this secret objective truth about everything. And everyone who's not like me or who, I, or who I've been taught is my political or theological enemy is always wrong and can never be right on anything. And I, I want to pull out my hair sometimes yeah. because I don't know how to have like a, a a good faith conversation with those folks when no matter what you tell them, no matter how much evidence you give them, mm -hmm. they just have some kind of mental blinder on that says, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to stay in my dogma. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think it's really hard. What I found to be a shockingly like this, this shocks me that this is a great way to get into that thinking. And again, this is within like a very Christian specific mindset is talking about Judas. And that shocks me because people think they know exactly who Judas is, that he was the deceiver, and then they've thrown him away. And in my studying, which most of it relied on simply actually reading the scripture and looking at it, 
you learn so many more interesting things about Judas if you slow down and actually look at the scripture instead of believing the story you were taught in Sunday school. And the story of Judas is one of a guy turning around and realizing, number one, Satan totally took him over according to scripture. So he wasn't even acting of his own accord according to scripture. That's the first thing. Second thing is he then Hmm. realizes what's wrong, goes to church. He goes to the temple for help and is mocked by them. They take his money and throw him out. It is like the first story of like true church hurt and deception. That's what that is for us. And we miss that whole part of his story. His is such a tragedy. And the encouraging thing I found as I've been teaching through this over the last year in particular, because I've been focusing on the stories of Good Friday we miss, um, people have really warmed up to that. People that I never would have imagined have come up to me and said, because of the way that I've actually stopped to look at this, you've given me hope about this situation, about things that I didn't see. And I realize I might be wrong and I'm actually hopeful even to see Judas someday, you know, like it's quite an amazing different thing. And so you've got these people who've really sort of changed their mind. And I think it's because it was so unexpected. You talk about something like politics, they've already got their talking points set. But when you catch them off guard and sort of apply something new, I've found that there is an openness because so much of that rhetoric doesn't actually make sense if you understand the character of God. If you understand the character of God to be loving and kind, a lot of what they then apply does not make sense. And so I don't believe that Judas was a setup. I think his was a great tragedy. I think he went to church to get to get help. He apologized. You know, he said, I, I screwed up. Have it. I mean, literally that is the story of coming to Jesus, right? Like you, you, you realize you have a turnaround of some sort. And so that's what we see, but we've turned him into this other thing because we want a scapegoat. We want a bad guy to hang. And, um, that's not what I see there when I look. And so that's, that's why I stay in this space because there's these little pockets of hopeful conversations where people say, I didn't see it that way before. Not so encouraging yeah. to me. Like that just is so, so encouraging to me. It gives me hope. Well, I have to agree because I mean, that is my story in a lot of ways. And yeah. that's a lot of people in our community. That's our story. You know I mean? I, it is hard for me now to think about how I used to think even five years ago, like how did I mm-hmm. see it that way, let yeah. alone 10 years ago or, you know, 15 right. years ago. So I have to, you know, I have to agree with you, uh, Jessica, because a lot of my work, I engage with a lot of people who are still in those spaces who don't like our work, but I have found that, that there have been little, little rays of sunshine, right? Where you're like, okay, I, I, I might've given this person some food for thought and it's not my job to change. I can't change minds. Like, you know, that's so, I, I, I kind of gave up the whole idea of trying to, you know, like, uh, win people over a long time ago, Um, but if we can plant seeds in their brain and then it gets watered somewhere else, um, that's a success, I think, right? Because I I have to hope that people who claim to take their faith seriously, when they are asked honest questions and they realize that that, that their fundamentalism can't really answer them 
Um, honestly, yeah. I, I only hope that puts some kind of seed of like, well, I got to think about this more that hopefully mm-hmm. leads to, listen, you, people don't have to agree with, with my theology or, or even the work that we do, but there are other ways of being that I think are more faithful to Jesus than what fundamentalism has taught me. Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, there's just a great, there's so much fear in the evangelical church and culture. There's fear of the other and breaking that down little bits at a time is good and honest work. Um, I don't know what the future of the evangelical church is. I mean, so much of the problems that exist today have existed from the beginning of faith in this country, the Christian faith in this country, just having studied it all. So it will, you know, it will continue to morph into new and different things, but sort of always the same story, I think. And we need to just continue to press forward. I think having those one-on-one conversations, that's actually the key. And so equipping those who are starting to leave the space, how to do those conversations is just such important work. I'm kind of curious, in your spaces, in your community, do you have, it's a kind of a mix of people who are maybe a little more of that fundamentalism, thinking about things differently, and also people who are like, I'm done with that, I'm leaving it behind. Do you have those people as well in your spaces? Yeah, for sure. I do. Um, so how do you how do you hold this this tension of, you know, I, I'll, I'll use our community, for example. You know, we sure. have 6,000 people on our Facebook community. And in the beginning, it was... You had some people who were like way farther down the road of their quote unquote deconstruction journey. Yeah. Uh, and then you had some who were coming in who were maybe just had some questions and they would ask the question the wrong way and someone would mm-hmm. get pounced on and be they come this whole thing. Now yeah. we've worked through a lot of that and we have an amazing mod team and admin who really has created a beautiful culture that has gotten so much healthier. But yeah. man, there's definitely days where I'm like, wow, we're holding a lot of things in tension. Um, yeah. how, have, how has that been for you in your work? Yeah, it's been the same. I think um, I've learned to model as the teacher in the room, so to speak, how to respond to those questions that are so like, oh, like just you just cringe, at, literally, as you read the the question in response to something. I've learned to um, model the questions, the, the response to the questions in such a way that we we are always honoring. And so we honor the person, I'm going to assume the best intent. And that's really helpful. And then like gently nudge them along. And so a lot of it is me turning it around to another question. Um, I'm trying to think we had an example recently. Oh, we were talking about this is a little biblical scholarly. So I'll give some background for for those of us who are who are not reading the scriptures all the time. Um, there's the story after Easter where Jesus is on the road to Emmaus with two disciples. They don't recognize him. And they start telling this guy all of their woes and how they can't believe everything that's happened has happened. And they, they have no idea they're walking with him. And depending on how you read what happens next, you can read it as Jesus then goes on to ask them questions, or you can read it as Jesus condemns them. And says, what is wrong with you? Don't you know the prophecies? That is not how I read it. I read it as him saying like, hey, don't forget. This is what was said would happen. It just happened. And again, knowing the character of God helps inform how you read what's in front of you. And so when someone said to me, that was not an example of 
being kind to somebody who's asking questions, that was an example of putting them in their place. And so my pushback was, that's not how I read it. That does not align with the character of Jesus as we know him. And so when I read it, this is what I see in here and kind of left it at that. And the response was actually like, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. That's a good filter, you know? So it was a, it was a helpful redirect. Um, but yeah, I mean, we all walk around with a filter when we read anything, yeah. the news. I mean, this is not specific to scripture. It's anything we read. Right? Well, to be fair, I, I read everything correctly. I mean, I just want to be clear I about agree, that. But you know, so do yeah. I. So now what are we going to do? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I think that I'm just more objective and you can't, you can't yeah. fight me on that. So yeah. <laughs> so I, I actually okay. agree with you. <laughs> But that's because I think I am an objective reader too. So we're, we're just the two best readers. We just have to be together. I'll concede. We're the two best readers out of anyone <laughs> oh, yeah. else. Um, right. So, I, you know, we have a few minutes left. I, I, I want to talk about how do how do you teach or what are your thoughts on how do people like maybe myself or others listening yeah. re-engage um, seasons? And I, I don't mean that in the mm-hmm. evangelical sense. I mean like Easter, right. Christmas, et cetera, yeah. right? Um, I, I, I feel like in the beginning of this quote unquote deconstruction thing I went through, I was kind of cynical about it all. Like I didn't know where I landed on things. Um, I've, I've kind of progressed from there and regardless of if I can prove, for example, the virgin birth objectively, there's something beautiful about God incarnated, uh, into, you know, um, into this world, like through the most humble means that just like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like that, that idea of God is just beautiful, but I know a lot of people, they just wrestle with like, well, what do I do with this stuff? I mean, I used to be part of like my volunteer production team. Like I would spend countless hours producing the Christmas <laughs> extravaganza and the Easter right. extravaganza. And and I don't know, man, like it just, it's tough to re-engage. Yeah. And, and one more example, I didn't even know what Advent was. Yes. Okay. A, a, a church calendar what the hell yeah. is that? You know, like, right. I'm an evangelical. Like I That's know the true right. gospel. That's and right. so as I started kind of dipping my little pinky toe, you know, in that water, yeah. I'm yeah. like, Ooh, like this, there's something kind of holistic yeah. and beautiful about this. But also a lot of my rituals have already been formed. I don't mm-hmm. know how to form new ones. Cause I'm 34 yeah. with two kids. Like who has time for meditation? Yeah. Um, but I would just kind of maybe like, I love your thoughts on, sure. on how you view these things and maybe how people can start to renegotiate very sacred moments in the Christian tradition that for mm-hmm. us have been totally, um, you know, corrupted. I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, corrupted. corrupted. That's a good yeah. word. Yeah, right. yeah, there you go. So I think, especially someone, and again, I have not deconstructed just because, as we've established, my sort of on ramp was so holistic. But I love people who have deconstructed, my husband included. I um, and so I've lived it intimately. And watched mm. it. And the first thing I would say is if the notion of understanding liturgy or the church calendar or those, like you said, church seasons like Advent, Lent, etc., if that is at all interesting or curious to you, I just need to say out loud, you can do that and not be a Catholic. And it's lovely if you're Catholic. That is nothing against being Catholic. But I think in the evangelical world, there is such a sense of that is too Catholic, don't touch it. And so that bond needs to be broken immediately because I've had lots of friends deconstruct 
from evangelicalism and become Catholic and be so pleased and happy there. So I'm not saying anything yeah. against that, but there's this attachment that needs to be sorted out. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, it is so good to just dip your toes in and just see how it feels. Um, and it also doesn't all have to be so serious. I have friends of ours who they have been so faithful for as long as we've known them, probably 20 years, raised a beautiful daughter, also faithful. When our kids were really young, I said to them, so what do you do? How do you create this like beautiful awareness of the importance of the season and was like feeling all the weight of like, how are my kids going to know the truth of what's going on? Not the commercialism, but not condemn it and blah, blah. And they looked me dead in the eye and said, we do a Lego advent calendar. Like, that's it. And there was like, I had no idea how much burden I was personally carrying, trying to sort this out the right way. And to hear these right. people that I admire say, it's not that like, we're all okay. Everyone needs to just relax a minute. You know, it can be something simple and fun. It doesn't have to be this big thing. And so that's also part of it is realizing you don't have to make it bigger than you're ready to make it. And it can also change from year to year. I would say, look for one tradition to try on this year. And it's, you know, it's where we're talking now, what, mid-December? It's not too late to even yes. try something for this December if you wanted to. Just try it on. You know, it's right. like two weeks out. Same for Lent. Just try it. Maybe you wake up a little bit early. Maybe you do give up something. Um, you know, whatever little bit of a tradition you want to try on, do so. Um, I love Baylor University's resources. I'll send you the link so you can share it. But it's got a lot of rich history to help understand that there are so many ways to celebrate any of these seasons and to look at the history of it. Just like the denominational history is so rich and beautiful, there are so many ways to express the Christian faith and tradition and just start trying some stuff on and see. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, what's so fascinating is my parents grew up loving the Jewish tradition. And so we've adopted, like we have some of those things that have worked their way into our family culture, just because of the connection that my parents felt to that part of the tradition. Um, and so I think you can have, a it's so much more free than we make it. And then my last piece of advice would be welcome the mystery of it. Like you said, there's so much of it that we can't exactly articulate. We certainly can't factually prove. But the mystery of that is a really beautiful place to start. And to say, I haven't been to church in a while, but I am missing this one piece. So maybe I'll go to church and just sit there and be sort of aware that there's a mystery to the whole thing. And I just don't know. I'm, I'm just not sure. And to be okay with that, you know, it doesn't have to be an all in, all out kind of thing. I think the trickiest part that I have is I'm a type six, so I'm very yeah. relational in how I view things. And it's lonely to do these things alone. Yeah. It's just lonely, even digitally. I mean, I love digital. Yeah. I talk to, I, I consider myself having many friends in these spaces, thanks to the work that I do with TNE, that I consider yeah. real friends that I never actually met in person. Sure. Um, but it's hard to think about like participating in these things mm -hmm. solo, right? Or yeah. like by myself or with my, just me and my wife or something like yeah. that. Um, yeah. Do you have any advice for folks who might have that like objection of like, yeah, I love this, but 
how would I, where do I, you know, when do I do this stuff (laughs) with actual people in my life? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, that, that's actually what I studied for my first book is how to develop these types of like relational connections. There's a lot of fascinating science behind the types of connections we are built to have. And there's, so we need a true partner. We need our core group of people, maybe four to five that deeply know us. That's the missing link for most of us, especially during and what I guess we're calling post COVID now, right? That like sure. that core yeah. group we've missed. And then there's these right. larger experiences. So sitting in the church where you know nobody, you are still having a communal experience. And it does yes. feed one of those levels. It's just not feeding the one that is most essential, which is that second one um, of the handful of people. And so I would encourage anybody who's, if you're feeling a deep loneliness about entering into any of these, consider partnering up with like a couple or two friends, if you could, and saying, let's go try this together. And if you have any of those people who might be at all curious, go for it. You also don't even need to go to church. I mean, you could have a small little thing that you do at home that's not super weird or awkward, not weird and churchy, but just, you know, like, hey, let's get together and just have a minute an evening where we don't have our devices on, spend some time together reflecting on like, this is the holidays. We, you know, you're aware of the impact of the season. Start there. You know, it's just a little bit of something is good. But if you're feeling drawn to go and you're also on your own, don't discredit the fact that there's still a communal thing that happens that will really satisfy your soul at, on some level. It may not be the best option, but it's not nothing. And sometimes that's where we need to start is not nothing. Love that. That's really helpful. Um, where can folks find um, you and your work? I mean, if they want to yeah. get a part of, be part of some kind of community that's, you know, different for them and, and, and yeah. they love what you're saying, where can they find you? So they can find me. I, I am on Substack and I do think I'll be there for a while. So you can look for me there. It's just Herberger. And also on Instagram. I pop in and out of Instagram, but um, I do lo- I do love it there um, for the beauty Same. of what's created there. Um, and so I'm, I'm not leaving there yet either. And then certainly either of the books that are out, they're challenging. They are not your spoon-fed evangelical nonsense. They are just hey, here's a new way to look at something you might already know about. And so, of course, both the Substack and Instagram would link you there as well. But it's both for, it's Jess Herberger. Awesome. Well, Jessica, I say it's been great to have you on. And I think you gave at least me a lot of food for thought and ways to think about things. And yeah. I, I'm still wrestling through how I approach, you know, these uh, holy, holy weeks, so to yeah. speak, and holy seasons. But I think that I'm at the point in my journey where, I want to find ways of participating in them again because I think that they're very nourishing to my my humanness, I guess, if we can yeah, say it that way. That's right. Uh, and, and they remind me of just like the importance of, um, you know, just beauty and goodness in the world, yeah. even during times that are very difficult for me in my own, you know, personal trials and things like right. that. So I really yeah. appreciate your words and making that time. Thanks. I think what's so special about these seasons is they're actually made for those of us who don't have it pulled together, who don't have our faith settled, who feel like we're living in the darkness. I mean, that's what I think is uniquely special about the way that Christians approach Christmas. 
when done yeah. so, you know, the quote unquote right way. <laughs> no, I'm with you all the way. Well, yeah. keep in touch. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. I appreciate all your time. Sounds great. Thank you. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that.